Do you sometimes feel that the person you're in a relationship with is emotionally unavailable? Last week we spoke about the anxious preoccupied attachment style and today we're going to be talking about the anxious avoidant attachment style and what you can do about it. If you'd like to find out more about how to improve your relationships, head over to therelationshipmaze.com where you can also take our free online conflict style quiz. Welcome to today's podcast and today we're going to be talking about the anxious avoidant attachment style. We talked uh, last week. We talked about the anxious, preoccupied um, attachment style. Now, somebody who is avoidant, dismissing, is almost kind of presenting in opposite ways to somebody who is anxious, preoccupied. So the wounding might be very similar. The underlying wounding that both um, people who have uh, this these particular attachment styles might be very so the, the wounding might be quite similar but they have opposite defenses so the way that they uh, present themselves in the world is quite different and both um, anxious preoccupied and avoidant dismissing attachment styles are insecure attachment styles so usually with somebody who's um, grown up in an environment where the parents were not quite available for whatever reason maybe they were always working or they were they were very stressed out with something that was taking up all their time. Um, then they would have they were, would have grown up in an environment where, so to speak, the child was always kind of reaching out, holding out their hands there, and nobody was picking them up. So that's the kind of image that you can kind of imagine here: a child that is quite left on their own. It might often, <clears throat> incidentally, also our. Um, it might be a child that has been sent to boarding school, for example. So one of the typical presentations with what we call boarding school syndrome is a child who's uh, learned this kind of false independence very early on in life, where they had to kind of fend for themselves, look after themselves, where there wasn't a parental figure available to them. So it's a <clears throat> uh, somebody who has an avoidant dismissing attachment style, tends to come from an environment where there was no parental or primary caregiver figure there. So they learned that um, parents might have been actually quite actively rejecting, they might have been at the extreme and they might have actually been quite neglectful. So they might have had a situation also where a parent was present, was there, but they were very focused on, <coughs> for example, on tasks rather than emotional caregiving. So often a child and then adult coming from a background where the parents might have done things like they might have sat down to do the homework with the child, they might have taught the child how to ride a bicycle or how to go swimming. So they might have done all these kind of task-oriented activities with the child, but they weren't emotionally available. So the child didn't quite learn that the parent was emotionally there, was responding to their emotional needs. Yes, and it makes perfect sense as well that you know, a way to defend ourselves, again, against pain, because mm -hmm. if someone isn't there for us emotionally, the best thing to do might be to shut down mm -hmm. to some extent, mm -hmm. is to not let people in, mm -hmm. to defend ourselves against possible pain because... We can't rely on other people. People may hurt us. Mm -hmm. So the best thing to avoid pain is create this barrier. Mm -hmm. 
Don't let so, anyone in, exactly. Yeah, and that's how it can be experienced. So mm. as I said at the beginning, it might be that sometimes you find your partner emotionally unavailable or quite frequently. Mm. Maybe particularly at those times where you most need emotion. Mm. Um, because if your partner is avoidant, mm. it may be those times when we feel most in need and we tend to be more expressive with our feelings and we're kind of thinking, I really need somebody to show that they love me. Mm. That puts up these barriers even more with the person that's avoidance and they shut down even more. It tends to push them away. Mm, exactly, yeah. So so somebody with this attachment style, um, often it's described as a defense against intimacy because the idea of intimacy is terrifying for somebody who's avoidant dismissing potentially because they have learned that um, they can't rely they can't, on someone else, they can't trust someone else. Intimacy is risky and dangerous. Because what uh, somebody with this attachment style has learned is that the only person they can rely on is them themselves. Yeah, So they have to become highly independent, they've got to look after themselves, and that's the best way to go through life. Yeah, which is one of our first signs that we're going to talk about, about mm -hmm. whether somebody has this anxious avoidance attachment style, is they tend to keep their feelings in. Mm -hmm. Because again, as we talked about, in a way, it's safer. In a way, it avoids the potential pain of being hurt. Mm -hmm. But the flip side of a coin is that unless we allow ourselves to actually experience our emotions, unless we're able to express our emotions, we will never truly feel love. Mm -hmm. We'll never truly feel closeness with somebody. Mm -hmm. So always, it's a very isolating, very cold place to be in. Mm -hmm. It might be safe. Mm. But it's like being in this very cold, shut-off safety where, you know, to love and to be loved involves risk. Mm. You know, it's a key thing. Mm. To loving and being allowed, being able to love and to be loved also opens up the potential of huge pain. Yeah. And that pain could be someone leaving. It could be through someone dying. Mm. Mm. And these are the factors that in order to really experience that true magnificence of real love we have to open ourselves up and be vulnerable to these emotions and with this attachment style with the avoidant attachment style that's so shut off mm. and that possibility of that pain that they can never really experience that true written richness of love mm. yes and they can build relationships of course in the same way that's uh, you know all anyone with an insecure attachment style of course is capable of forming a relationship but there is something that's being held back always. There's something that's not quite being given to the partner, maybe. Um, there is a sense of, like, there's so much risk involved if I really open up here and show my vulnerability that, um, that you know, they can, they can use that. They can weapon, my partner can weaponize that. So I must be very, I must tread very, very carefully. So it's better to focus on what keeps us separate, so to speak, rather than what binds us together. So an, a sort of an over-reliance always on oneself, isn't it? Yes, and, and, and we talked about it in a podcast a long time ago mm -hmm. where, you know, they may come up with these stories like looking for the one. Mm -hmm. So these sort of mythical things that essentially, you know, we talk we hear a lot about people saying, I'm waiting for my soulmates or mm -hmm. leaving a relationship because they thought, well, I just don't think they were my soulmate. Mm -hmm. And often this sort of story of the one is a defensive mechanism which avoids you actually really finding a way of being close with somebody. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, 
when, when we think there's only one person, we, we tend to then sabotage. We tend to kind of read that this isn't that person, which is often a defensive way of rather than finding a way of getting really close to this person, we then shut off mm. and then try and think, I need somebody else because they're not the one. Mm. It avoids that risk of getting too close, Absol too intimate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so idealising is one of the, the three patterns that usually we, we find with a, a more avoidant pattern, which is um, either devaluing, so you always put other people down, so they're not quite good enough, they're not quite worthy. Um, that's a way of defending against any kind of real contact because you know if I put the other person down they don't really come close to me if I idealize as you said that's another way of keeping them at a distance or the third pattern of um, a more avoidant dismissing attachment style is often that they tend to be a bit more controlling trying to manage emotions in this way trying to keep an eye on what plays out uh, trying to um, not get carried away with uh, emotions diminishing emotions generally yeah, and that's the second sign we were going to talk about, which mm -hmm. is uh, somebody with this attachment style tends to diminish emotions, mm -hmm. both their own emotions and also tries to diminish the other person's emotions too. Mm -hmm. So it might be sort of, you know, when they tell their partner, don't be so emotional, you're just, you're just being too emotional. Mm -hmm. You know, that expression, man up. Yes, oh, I hate it. I say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so these sort of expressions where, you know, you're just being too emotional, you're being too needy. Mm -hmm. That could be a sign where they're trying to control the other person's emotions. Mm -hmm. But also as well about, you know, diminishing their own emotions. Mm -hmm. So often never really being able to fully get into their emotional way of being because that could be too much of a scary place. Yeah, absolutely. And also last uh, week we talked about um, with the anxious, uh, preoccupied attachment style that uh, people with this presentation tend to be more other focused now with somebody who's avoiding dismissing they're very self-focused very much um, preoccupied with themselves and indeed at the sort of extreme end of the avoidance spectrum and it's a wide spectrum as well you might have somebody who's quite narcissistic or almost sociopathic as well in their presentation in that they can only think about themselves um, because that's what they learned. That's the only safe place, really. They can only rely on themselves. Yeah, and with that comes a lot of things like blame. So mm. blaming other people, mm. blaming the partner, blaming mm. things around them, because, you know, they tend to be right. They need to know that, you know, they're in the right, other people are wrong, because that's the safe place to be. Mm -hmm. Which also links into the next sign, which is tends to deny dependency. Mm. So again, that fierce need for independence. Mm. Yes. Not relying on other people. Absolutely. Any dependency needs are uh, regarded as being quite risky and dangerous, and and putting yourself, yeah, putting yourself at risk of uh, relying on somebody who is not reliable ultimately, uh, in your perspective. So any dependencies are always denied. Yeah, and that's the thing is in relationships. You know, in relationship with two people, that mm. both people have needs. Of and part of that relationship is helping to meet some of those needs. Mm. You know, we might not be able to meet all of the needs and, you know, some of these needs need to be negotiated. Mm. But that's part of relating. Absolutely. And and this particular, particularly also becomes an issue when uh, there are dependency needs which cannot be ignored. For example, if um, uh, a couple, if you have, a, and we will talk about this in more detail in the next podcast, the combination of these different attachment styles. But if you have, for example, two partners in a relationship who tend to be avoidant dismissing, they really struggle when children 
uh, come along when actually there are dependency needs. There are dependency needs for the two partners because they've got to rely on each other in terms of childcare, for example. This is when this becomes really quite risky and quite challenging potentially for somebody who presents with uh, an avoidant attachment. Yeah, absolutely. And because that is our next uh, sign we were going to talk about, which is tends to deny needs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's totally okay for both people in a relationship, as we said, to have needs. Mm -hmm. And to expect that, you know, to to some extent, our partner is going to help us meet some of those needs. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it may be that somebody has too many needs, which are difficult to kind of meet. But but at the same time, it's, it's finding out, you know, what each other needs in a relationship and helping to meet some of those needs whereas somebody who's with this attachment style they will tend to just deny the other person has needs they should be able to look after themselves but having needs to them is being needy yeah exactly needy is such a nasty thing isn't it for somebody who's avoidant dismissing yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. so it's like you can have needs but that doesn't mean you're needy Mm. exactly yeah there's a confusion there between these two terms yeah yeah Good, yeah. Also, um, we've talked about boundaries um, uh, with uh, somebody. Well, we, we've done a podcast on boundaries. We talked about um, rigid boundaries, porous boundaries. Somebody who's avoiding dismissing tends to have very rigid boundaries. So they're quite controlling. There's a lot of rigidity generally in this kind of system, in this this system of personality, so the structure of the personality, so to speak. So very clear about... Um, this is what I can do, this is what I can't do. It's the sort of controlling part of um, this particular attachment style that if I hold these boundaries very, very rigidly, I'll be safe. And nobody's going to come into my space. Nobody's going to cross the line and come too close to me to pose any risk to me. Yeah, so it's like you've got this little prison cell with very strong bars Mm. Uh, and, you know, if that can be a really small cell that there's not much space to manoeuvre because mm-hmm. these are the firm boundaries around that. It's safe. Nothing can get to me. I keep these boundaries in place. But it's also highly limiting. Mm-hmm. So having these rigid boundaries means that you know, we don't allow ourselves to experience the full richness of life. Mm-hmm. We don't allow other people in. We don't have that sort of flexibility with other people's needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also um, I think at this sort of I, I talked about one one end of the spectrum in terms of somebody who's uh, avoidant is that they might be narcissistic, they might be slightly sociopathic in their presentation. The other end of the spectrum is um, that we often have somebody who is avoidant, dismissing, who is also quite um, obsessive, uh, compulsive, because there is a there is this kind of rigidity about trying to control the world, control others, control oneself to make sure that everything goes exactly, goes in a particular structured way. And I suppose also it can manifest in somebody that just totally avoids life. Yeah. Like totally avoids relationships, tries Mm. to avoid as much as possible, Mm. goes to work, doesn't make contact, just tries to get away and shut themselves away. Mm. I suppose to somebody who just gets involved in for example, just sitting in front of watching television on their own all the time in their spare time, who maybe just does gaming all the time, but mm. without contact with other people. It's a way, or even sometimes with contact, but avoiding real person-to-person contact. And it's a way of actually avoiding risk, avoiding some of those potential things that can cause us hurt and upset. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we've talked about out being outer-directed, somebody who is 
um, anxious, um, dismissive, uh, sorry, anxious, no, I'm good, I'm throwing my, <laughs> I'm getting confused now. Anxious, preoccupied is very, uh, is very focused on others, whereas somebody who is um, avoidant, dismissing tends to be a bit more uh, inner directed. So it's only really taking directions from themselves, from their own sense of what ought to be happening. Yeah, so what might be an example of that? Of being inner directed. Well, it's kind of, it's almost like you don't really want to hear what other people have to say. Um, you might be sitting in a boardroom, for example, where there's a discussion taking place, where people have different opinions, different uh, points of view, but ultimately you have this very strong sense of, well, I'm, I'm right here, I know what the best way is. So that's one extreme. Yeah, so that's sort of... It's my way or the highway. Yeah, That's exactly. the expression. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I'm the only one who can kind of make this decision here. Yeah, and you might find that with people that seem, seem you know, somebody who puts themselves or paints themselves as being ultra-moralistic. Mm -hmm. Could be, yeah, yeah, for example. Because, you know, where basically they defend that this is the way things are, only what I say is right. Mm. Because, again, having this is very similar to the boundaries. Having these really clear-cut ways of being avoids that sense that there could be something wrong with them as well. It avoids them opening up to potential emotions mm -hmm. that could hurt them. Yeah. And it's interesting, I would say, I mean, I'm kind of putting my, uh, I'm really guessing here, but I would imagine that um, a lot of the time, somebody who's got a, a more avoidant dismissing attachment, they can be very successful very often in their career because they're very clear. They're very clear in terms of this is the boundary, this is the line, this is the direction we're going to take. This is the right way to do it. There is no, you know, there's no sort of uh, hesitation here. Um, so they've learned that. And again, I'm coming back to what I said earlier on. Um, often that's when you look at, and I work with lots of clients who've been in boarding schools, for example, where they had uh, learned this kind of false independence and having to stand on their own two feet and function in the world with conviction and a sort of false confidence very often as well, that, uh, they, that can go a long way in the world out there. It can go a long way in terms of their career prospects because that, that kind of behavior often gets rewarded in society, doesn't it? So it can serve you very well. And of course it can serve you well to some extent in relationships as well. But what you are missing out on is very often this kind of very close connection with a partner. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it can, you know, even that sort of blaming other people. Mm. We see that people are quite senior in organisations sometimes, people mm. who do succeed, mm. they often do have this controlling, quite sort of blame others sort of attitude. And, mm. um, you know, I think there's some crossover with sociopaths where yeah, some yeah. people studied that a lot of people in, you know, some people in senior roles may verge on some sociopathic tendencies mm. where, you know, to them firing people there's no emotional part to that yeah. that people are losing their jobs mm. staying cold and detached allows them to do that absolutely we can see some crossovers mm. but again it avoids you from really experiencing the true richness of life it avoids you from really being able to experience um, emotions and the wonder of uh, emotions at a deeper level yeah and yeah, true love yeah. um, and i think you know in terms of ways that somebody could help change or help kind of transform or find a way in with this avoidance attachment style I, I think again the first thing is awareness like we talked about with the anxious preoccupied attachment style having an awareness of these patterns that we display mm. do we tend to 
you know, leave relationships when they seem to be getting too close? Or do we tend to kind of have a pattern of short-term relationships where we end those relationships, mm. where we think, I never meet the right person? Yeah. Those could be some of the, the clues. It could be, yeah. So it could be often, but not always. I mean, it can be, um, you know, a, pr a presentation of somebody never really being in a long-term relationship, being in these sort of short-term relationships all of the time because anyone coming too close is experienced as too threatening, unconsciously, of course. But, I mean, it's not to say that if you are... It's not to say that if you are avoidant... This was the phone that just uh, fell down. That's what the noise that you just heard in the background... Um, it doesn't mean that somebody who is avoidant can't be in a long-term relationship. Um, as I said, you know, neither neither insecure attachment style means that you can't be in a relationship, and it can soften. This can soften over a period of time. Um, so, you know, somebody who's avoidant doesn't mean that they can't ever have an intimate relationship. I think they can work towards that, and they can also experience that uh, in a relationship with a partner who is maybe a bit more open, uh, more emotionally expressive, who can kind of model a different kind of uh, behavior and who also can reassure the avoidant partner that they're safe in the relationship. Yes, absolutely. Although, uh, you know, again, this, this to be fully happy in a relationship with the different attachment styles, I think involves some exploration and flexibility because if we mm. stay avoidant and that never shifts, mm. then you're never going to really open up to that fullness of a truly loving relationship. Yeah, you might miss out. Yeah, yeah. You might, and your you partner will as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, because you, you're not able to communicate that to them. You're not able to meet their needs. But we can talk more about that in the next podcast mm. when we talk about how relationships kind of blend with that. But I, I, th I think as well in terms of another thing is finding some support, finding some psychotherapy, some counselling or doing your own work to get more in touch with your emotional way of being. Mm. To actually start to kind of get, get that sense of what you're really feeling, get that sense of being able to experience those emotions and learn that these emotions aren't dangerous. Yeah, so it's kind of... We've talked quite a lot about our, the autonomic nervous system. We talked about um, staying within a, staying within a, a, a what some people would describe as a window of tolerance. So staying within a sort of uh, domain in your life where you feel quite safe and comfortable in yourself, in your environment. So with insecure attachment styles, it's often about finding ways to create that for yourself. To be, to be quite clear about what what is what are the triggers here that put me into a territory where I feel where I start to feel quite unsafe and therefore I have to defend therefore I have to defend with my partner that's where that therefore I have to defend with another person who is putting me into a situation where I start to feel a certain amount of discomfort so it's also learning to tolerate some of that discomfort and to not uh, misinterpret it as a sign of danger yeah, so it's learning to retrain your brain, essentially, yeah. that those things that when we were really little, we found as cues that could be a sense of danger or kind of very risky. Mm. Those things aren't dangerous. They may feel uncomfortable, mm. but we can learn to tolerate them. Mm -hmm. We can learn to kind of reteach ourselves that actually these things really aren't a threat. Mm. And in so doing, what we allow ourselves to do is open up a new richness of emotions mm. and allow ourselves to have 
really deeper relationships. Yeah, that's ultimately really the aim here because you can live quite happily, particularly if you are more on the avoidance spectrum. I think you can live quite a happy life, so to speak. But there might be something that you're missing out on. Well, there's, I think there's an enrichment maybe that is missing. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I wonder as well. Like, <laughs> you, you can lead a relatively happy life, but again, if you're avoiding the emotional way of being too much, it's never gonna. I wonder if the word happy is right. You can lead a mm. successful life, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You could lead a life where things are okay, where you feel that you've achieved things, but. Yeah. Are you truly, really happy? Are you truly, really feeling fulfilled? Because unless you're able to allow yourself to connect with these deeper emotions, then I, you know, I wonder if you can really lead a truly happy life. Well, that's a long discussion. We should have one day as well about what, what constitutes a happy life, really. That's an interesting question, isn't it? That's what right. That means. That's another podcast. Or a rich I think. life. Or a rich life, <laughs> yeah. exactly. That's maybe another podcast that we um, that we should have in future. Talk about that, what that means. Great. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you for tuning in today. And please head over to therelationshipmaze.com where we have more information about how you can create a fulfilling relationship. And tune in next week. And we look forward to speaking with you then. Take good care. Bye. Bye. Bye.